Welcome back to the On The Table Gaming Podcast. I'm Chase from On The Table Gaming. Today, we're going to be taking a look at the neutrals in the 2021 update for a Song of Ice and Fire, the miniatures game, guided by a Song of Ice and Fire game designer, Michael Chanel. Special thanks to all of our patrons for helping to make this podcast possible. And be sure to head on over to the newly formed On The Table Gaming Facebook group to share your hobby pictures, talk card games, board games, and tabletop war games, and just help us build a positive and supportive gaming community. You can also leave suggestions for Table Talk, our weekly video series, where me and my co-host Simon explore the wider world of tabletop gaming. With that being said, the visions burn bright this week, and it's best to not let the Boltons to their own devices for too long. So, Michael, thanks so much for coming on. Chase, good to be back. We have a very fun topic this week, don't we? Oh boy, getting into the neutrals here. Uh, but actually, before we do that, on the last episode, we asked for people to submit examples of their Baratheon painted miniatures on our on our Facebook page. And man, we got like over 60 beautiful images here. So let's take a second and look through. Did any of these like stand out or catch your eye? Uh, quite a number of them, actually. Uh, but, you know, we can always give credit for, you know, all of them going down, all these 60 plus people that posted. But it'll be an hour long episode of just that. Or like, And then and it's audio only right now. So <laughs> really good stuff. Imagine a well-painted unit of stag knights. <laughs> but actually, uh, speaking of just, yeah, again, just generally well-painted uh, Baratheons, uh, Tony Weichoff, which also, by the way, chased myself, probably a butcher all these last names. True. Um, you know, posted a ton of his painted stuff, and he does a great job with the scenic bases and also just the hand-painted filigree and everything around there. So that one just jumps out. This is obviously like someone who has put a lot of pride into what they've done. Not to say that everyone else hasn't, but this one is just, I will say this one goes above and beyond. It's like with this combination of just basing and freehand and everything here. Yeah, and going on that name that name theme, uh, we're trying to figure out like, okay, where is this person from? And I can try and like figure out how to pronounce her name. But it's Victoria and Jealousy, I think. Posted a whole tray of just her attachments painted up, but she took the Baratheon banners from the Lannister Kingsguard and put them in the back of the tray as like maybe extra activation markers or just like a cool like scenic element. That was also a, a kind of a great variety of miniatures in there. Yeah, another one that I saw on the... A uh, poster that I liked was by Cavalan uh, uh, Naidu or Naido. Don't know which one uh, specifically, but just a very uh, well painted Baratheon Master Ward. Uh, just again, good clean paint job there, which metal is one of those things that you can very easily just make look kind of not great. Uh, <laughs> but when it's when it's done well, a lot of people, you know, they'll just throw in a wash and call it done. But when the attention to detail is actually taken, especially when you're painting yellows, you know, it can really just jump out. That one was so clean. And also, that's a like a really good photo of it. You're just like scrolling through it, just like really pops and stands out. Yeah, good quality photos to go a long way because you, know, you can have some things that look amazing, but then you have a photo and it's like... Uh. But speaking of ones that really caught my eye when we're looking through the thread there, there's one by uh, Christian Antipathy Felton, uh, just for the vibrant greens that he did on his uh, Rindley and his Stagnites that he has there. Did you see the ones by Titus Paolo? Uh, yeah, yeah, that was another... Actually, that was another one on my list right here. So... Oh, my gosh. I mean, that not only did those look really good, but he posted like a whole set of uh, like, you know, like six trays worth of things painted that way. Uh, fantastic. Yeah. Just as a full dedicated to the uh, the stag cause. But stags are like old news. I mean, they're last week, right? That's true. That's true. Yeah, we got to move on. Or uh, I can hear the, uh, the the hounds in the distance coming, so we might not have that much time. So let's jump right into it with uh, the big reveals for this week were. 
the neutral faction reveals for the 2021 update. So let's get it. Let's get in on these neutrals then. And uh, you know, the question has been asked for a while, sometimes sort of teasingly, are neutrals a real faction? I do think it's play at the big boy leagues. Well, the <laughs> thing is, is that they, that's as we talked about in the article there, it is kind of a mixed thing. You know, they are their own standalone faction. They can be played as one. So it depends on your, your rough def- definition of what that means. If it means that they have their un- their own unique units that only they can use, then, well, no, they're not a unique faction because everyone, with the exception of those dirty you know, free folk, can use them. Oh, wow. Low blow. <laughs> but if your definition is that, uh, you know, they can play them as their own standalone army, then yes, they are. So when we were looking through the updates, the thing that when we came across neutrals was the that kind of split personality when it came to their role in the game. They are, you know, the mercenaries of Westeros, Essos, and beyond, and also all the independent players that are just in it for themselves. They're, uh, therefore, you know, they can align themselves with any of the great you know, houses, major factions that are out there. On the other hand, you still want to be able to play them as their own thing. So, you know, this is kind of the, uh, the organic approach when we were reevaluating all the elements of the game, is that, you know, there's no set template that you can apply to every single faction and every situation and have it come out the same. There's similarities, but really each has to be taken as its own just kind of unique entity. And with the neutrals, it was, okay, what role do we want them to have in the game, which we had defined? Um, and then it was, how do we best bring that role to the forefront while keeping all of the elements that made them unique you know, in line? So basically, how are we going about balancing the fact that you can play them on their own and they should feel unique, they shouldn't feel just kind of plain on the same hand, you know, you're going to have things that can be incorporated into armies across the entire board. And so, you know, how are you really tackling that then? It looks like by having a somewhat potent tactics deck then. So the tactic deck functions really similar to its original uh, design in which it has a lot of just kind of generically good effects, but nothing really specific. And you'll see as we're going through here that, you know, they've got bonuses that give them like, OK, here's a, you know, an, a, a small bonus of an extra to hit or, you know, blocking a wound. Or here's a condition token. Or, you know, here you get to reroll a morale test. So there's a lot of just generically good benefits in here. But there's nothing really specific like you would find in some of the other tactics deck. Like looking at the Baratheons, you have a lot of kind of retribution-themed stuff. Mm -hmm. When looking at the Free Folk, you have effects that are reliant on ganging up and units sharing, you know, uh, traits and similarities across your army. With, you know, Lannisters, you have counterplay and denial. You know, you have focused themes. Whereas with the generic uh, neutral deck, it's kind of just, yeah, these are all good effects, but it doesn't really push them into any one direction. So you've got a good toolkit here, uh, which I want to say is actually different than the way the Night's Watch approaches a toolkit, that they actually have like stacking benefits in their vow system that you know makes their units better. These are just kind of things that are you know very good, but nothing groundbreaking. Those cards are more focused in the commanders, because that's really where we decided the personality for the neutrals lie is these individually powerful characters that are leading the armies. That's always been a big central focus for Song of Ice and Fire. But with the neutrals, it just makes that much more sense. Because, again, as we spoke about in the article, you can have factions that are aligned like a philosophy. Like Starks, as a faction, you have the Tullys, you've got the Umbers. They're all dedicated bannermen of House Stark. But they're northerners, first and foremost. And that's what binds them together. With the neutrals, it tends to be just there's not really a mentality that binds them together. It's usually just a common goal, usually led by a very charismatic individual. In a way, they're a lot like free folk in this regard, that they're their own independent sub-factions and tribes and all that. But 
when someone who is very charismatic or very powerful or, you know, whatever brand of, you know, that you of cult of personality you want to say comes together and pulls them in, that's when they're their strongest. And yet, and yet they'll side up with all these sorts of different people as well. Whereas free folk, we're not going to be standing side by side with some crows. At least not very often. But let's talk about maybe one of the tactics cards that jumped out immediately was this uh, meticulous planning, which I think sort of speaks to your comments there about the importance of commanders for the neutrals. So meticulous planning now, end of the round, search your tactics deck for one commander tactics card and add it to your hand, then shuffle your tactics deck. Or a start of the any turn, if you control the letter zone on the tactics board, you can search your tactics deck for one t- commander tactics card and add it to your hand as well. So this is sort of speaking to that idea of the commander being like a really essential part of the, the neutral faction. The commander and their cards are going to define the play style of what your army does. And so those three cards, those six copies making up nearly a third of your deck are really important. So aside from just the small generic benefits that you're going to get from the tactics deck, the other part of the cards are focused on utilizing those specific commander cards more often and to higher degrees. And you're seeing that meticulous planning. You're seeing that in surprise strategy where there's a lot of cycling and return for those cards because they are a key element of how the neutrals plays as a independent faction. So when neutrals were first designed, like way back when you had the Kickstarter and you did Starks and Lannisters, and then you sort of previewed units like the bastard girls that really caught people's attention. Now that you've had a chance to kind of go over another pass on them here or or kind of make these major updates, what was something that you're maybe most looking forward to changing? There really wasn't a lot of changes that we felt like we wanted to do. This was, again, kind of more of a refocusing than anything else, because the neutrals already kind of like they had their identity to how they want to do when you had your sub like kind of factions, sub armies. And so we really just wanted to really push that theme, uh, you know, like we did with the generic um, commanders across the board. You know, we made an effort to really, um, you know, focus their personalities and their play styles. Well, that was doubly so with the neutrals, because they're not only bringing their specific commanders, but they're usually bringing a whole host of units that synergize within each other as well. And we see some kind of uh, somewhat similar newer mechanics here, like Spoils of War has that uh, ability to put a token on it. It almost has like an echo a little bit uh, faintly of like the pillage mechanic. That was actually a byproduct more of the streamlining process, where as part of the thing we wanted to do is we wanted to have tactics cards that had effects throughout the game. And then you never like drew a card and felt like, well, this is just eating up a space in my hand and it's just a dead card. We want to reserve things like that for very powerful effects. And so a lot of these um, when a unit was destroyed type of effects turned Mm -hmm. into this kind of version where, you know, now they'll kind of equip to a unit. And then when the trigger is met of a unit being destroyed, they will actually, you know, switch on and give their benefits. And that just basically creates a situation where you can play the card. And it's a bit of a tactical option about where I'm going to play it, what unit I'm going to play it on. And then my opponent knows it's there. But more importantly, this card is no longer just hanging out in my hand, waiting for its very, very specific trigger to happen. That is an event that doesn't necessarily happen that often in the game. In comparison to like, you know, being attacked or making a morale test, you know, uh, a unit being destroyed is a bit more rare. Then you got cards like Sadistic Games, which are kind of just like a classic example of how maybe the text has been cleaned up on cards. In some ways, it's just a changing of the wording to be a little bit more uh, precise or in line with the new rule set. I think it now just basically switches over to having like target and a few other like kind of key phrases in it. Yeah, I mean, a lot of cards, you know, if they didn't have the effects changed, the effects would change just slightly. 
or they would get just a wording modification, you know, just for clarifications and, you know, streamlining and those general passes. And so, you know, talking about how important commanders are, then you also showed Ramsey Snow and you got two versions of him, including the sadist version and also Theon Greyjoy, a.k.a. Reek, also previewed there. So right off the bat, uh, Ramsey Snow in his his uh, commander version that we showed, he's got a horrific visage added and he already had the House Bolton affiliation in the past, but now he's still got that. I mean, you know, how does that kind of highlight his new play style or what you really envision being his role on the battlefield? So one of the changes that we did is affiliation did become an innate ability, which is uh, it's as big as people want to make that out to be. That was not a balance thing. That was really more of a streamlining thing that like. That's one of those situations where, okay, does it feel a little weird that this ability can be taken away? Yeah. It's like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just a little bit where it's like, you know nothing. You're like, wow, I'm not a, I'm not hospital anymore. Like, no, forget that. But that also, uh, you know, sits in the category of kind of one of those quality of life changes where that makes sense from like a, a fluff and just like a thinking about it perspective. Mechanically, <laughs> did that really ever come up too often? If someone took away that specific ability, did it have a greater impact? Not really. A little more niche, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But so with Ramsey, we wanted to, you know, when we were evaluating the commanders, the neutrals, they didn't, all the commanders got reevaluated. The neutrals had a specific, just kind of deeper past because of the nature of how they interacted with the tactics deck. So we wanted to make sure that they were all really, really unique, really, really pushed their play style. And, you know, just really did that. Whereas the other commanders pushed 110 percent, the neutrals pushed 125 percent. The other ones go to 11. These guys go to 13. So for uh, Ramsey Snow, he can now also take Theon Greyjoy just like before. But now Theon Greyjoy is an optional buy. You can spend the point to get him. Right. And he, now he dies on a six instead of a five or a six. And he's got that cool, like kind of panic bomb where he, He's going to send all targeted enemies within short range. Um, they become panicked at the start of a turn. But what was the thought between giving him like an additional cost? And is that something we might see with like other, uh, you know, quote unquote, like free units that we were used to? This was really a balance pass. We uh, his ability is a character version of uh, a generic ability that exists. So, like the Weeper has the ability mm -hmm. where he just kills a guy in his unit and causes the same effect. Theon has his where it can potentially kill himself, but it's effectively the same order. And that was really just a balancing pass thing. This was this was too powerful to be free. So when you're taking Ramsey's attachment, you're paying points so you can build that into his cost. Right. So as a commander, you know, he's free. So that's something that you had to constantly factor in is like, well, he's getting reek every time as a commander, also as an attachment for free. And it just be, it made more sense in this case to assign a point cost to him. That way we could work independently of Theon and have the commander be balanced, you know, versus the uh, the attachment version. So in fact, by decoupling them, it's just going to make it more easy for you to precisely balance things and you can kind of tweak things more easily. There's like another lever you can pull. It also opens up more player options as well, because there are players who might just want to take Ramsey's attachment, but don't want right. to take the on. <laughs> Instead of a, a two point attachment versus a three point attachment, that can be a big deal. Right. It's when you cross that two to three point threshold that even though you are gaining a ton of abilities, it's still a cost, and sometimes you just don't have that point to spend. So now you have the option to go either way. And then I couldn't help but notice that this uh, this rather handsome Dreadfort captain, he did the old switcheroo with the Bolton Flare, and he's got a, a essentially a new ability, a rotated ability, Prey on Fear. Each time an enemy engaged with this unit fails a panic test, the unit restore two wounds, and the other one got Spread Fear. What was kind of the thought between that? Uh, so the switch was basically just from a kind of fluff perspective. 
it made more sense to us that like you have to the dreadfort captain now he has prey on fear so you can see like you have this black paladin-esque you know just evil charismatic individual leading this group of <laughs> cutthroats that's just yep. driving them forward and just you know getting like you know, oh, he's just into the slaughter and everything, and everyone is just like getting all ramped up and frenzied because of him. And then you have the flare, who he's not necessarily like taking part in the fight, but once the the battle is winding down a bit, a bit, you know, he's finding a guy who is left, and he is setting an example for them. Not to be confused with the ability set example, but you know, he's doing what his namesake says. And then all of a sudden, like all the enemies across the battlefield are just hearing these like screams and everything that are coming out. You know, that that visual in my head was really when we were looking at it, it just kind of made sense to like, you know, okay, this this feels a little bit more like on point. Uh, So that was one of the reasons. If that was the only reason, though, we wouldn't have bothered changing them. But it was also the fact that like the Bolton Flare comes in the black card box. The Dreadfort Captain comes in the Cutthroats box. And while they the both those units synergize very well with both those attachments, we felt that they, uh, there was a little more synergy between the Prey on Fear version of the Dreadfort Captain and the Cutthroats because they kind of need the healing a little bit more because they are less of a tanky unit. The mm-hmm. Bolton Flayer, meanwhile, is upping the damage potential of the Blackguard, who, you know, they're a very tanky unit, and yes, they have Horrific Visage, which also means they've got further abilities to, uh, sorry, chances to trigger that panic test. So there's just a little bit more natural synergy with them just right out of the box. So that was one of the reasons there. I mean, honestly, it could have gone either way and we could have just left it as it was. It's nice that you're thinking of like the community and like people who have make are making these purchases or have made these purchases and that you want to make sure that they're like, you know, you can buy the box and have like an optimal play experience like right from the go. As we said, we evaluated all elements of things. So, you know, that was that includes things like this. Well, that's fantastic. Speaking of the, the House Bolton Cutthroats, it's been really interesting to see people's reactions to that unit. Some people saying, you know, wow, they don't seem quite as powerful or they're not quite as appealing maybe as the, the House Bolton blackguards or blackguards and other people saying well actually no like you know they're still kind of a, a bargain and they can hit really hard and you're going to want to have times where you do want to take multiple you know two five point units over you know a six point unit and some attachments so it's been kind of fun to see like a, a lot of a discussion going on about a unit already how does that strike you is that maybe a sign of a, a job well done or or you know does that raise concerns or you know when you see the community take a unit be like two polarizing views on it how does that land that's usually an indication that we've probably done something correct is that when in the same <laughs> like post you can have multiple comments that are saying this unit's garbage and then this unit's overpowered uh it reminds me very much of the old stark and lannister days where you would see posts going starks are unbeatable and you know oh, yeah. going, lannisters are unbeatable i can't win the starks and they would just be sitting there touching it's like that's neat. <laughs> the, the thing is, like, when you're looking at, you know, units here, that should always be a constant choice about, like, well, there's not going to be one better option. It's what is better, you know, for the army or the role that I need. Because when you're mm-hmm. looking at, like, you know, black guards versus cutthroats, that's not a fair comparison because it's a five and six point unit. You need to be looking right. at cutthroats with a one point attachment, whatever it might be, in comparison to your black guard. And then, you know, what do you need them in that role to be? A neat comparison is when you start looking at, like, black guard and a one point attachment. And then cutthroats and a two-point attachment, uh, you know, both mm. being at seven points and seeing, okay, well, where do things line up? So, like, a House Bolden cutthroat unit, uh, you know, Vicious can reroll attack dice when they've targeted something that hasn't activated. And then you go and stick just Ramsey in there with them. And let's just say just baseline Ramsey, uh, Sadist, 
you know, without uh, without reek, just to keep it at seven points. You're gaining fuel by slaughter in that situation, so you're able to restore wounds for keeping your damage up. You're gaining intimidating presence, so your damage is going up even further. Yeah, it's pretty beastly, and they you know they hit pretty hard as is. Like four plus is a little bit more typical of that of that point range, but seven dice with the rerolls and vicious. That vicious is going to come in handy, and it's you know a, everything that you showed had vicious on it, all the units. So there's going to be some uh, some people running away. Well, that's the that's the Bolden theme here is that if you want to run an aggressive, vicious army, that's who you should be taking. Now, of course, Cutthroats, like in general, they did get toned down because they needed it. That was just the reality of it. They were a very cost effective five point unit. So, you know, I'm not going to sit there and say that, you know, oh, you know, these were, you know, there was nothing wrong with them in the previous one. They were at the top tier of the five point range for most options. You know, that's not something we just ignore. So these are just brought in line to where now. Like you compare them versus like House Stark Sworn Swords, you know, Sworn Swords have a better defensive profile, similar offensive profile, but they're much more focused around punching through armor, whereas the Cutthroats here have Vicious, so they're doing much more morale damage. So naturally, you know, you can build around them like in the Stark army, but the natural synergies are not there so much because Starks don't really care too much about panic damage, but it's giving you additional option and you know, uh, ability to do so. And that's the point of neutrals and uh, in general, is that they should expand options available to a faction or offer different play styles. They're a supplementary uh, force to the existing factions, where usually your in-house option is going to have some natural synergies, but there's still some merit to be said for just throwing that wild card in there about, you know, what it can do. And then the House Bolton Blackguards or the Blackguards, the six-point unit. Now, they took a little bit of drop in damage in the top end from the 1.6 version, but they gained Vicious. So, you know, fair, fair trade there. And, you know, for an extra point, you get a little bit better survivability than cutthroats. You get your three plus armor. That's always impressive as a as a free folk player. I'm always looking over that a little jealously. And uh, and they got better morale. Uh, and not only that, these the sculpt is like I love the the Blackguard sculpts. Uh, what a what a fantastic unit. These guys uh, didn't really change that much. Well, actually, so if you look at most of the uh, the House Bolton units that we previewed here, um, you'll see that most of them didn't really go through that many changes. And again, that's indicative of just some of the overarching, you know, things that we were looking to achieve with 2021 is that, you know, we weren't changing things just for the sake of changing. You'll see that pretty much most of the examples here on all of the changes that happen to the individual units are kind of just quality of life and minor balance things. Like even looking at the cutthroats, they fundamentally still have pretty much the same stats and everything they did before. They just got toned down a little bit. Uh, the blackguards. They fundamentally, they didn't change basically at all, except gained Vicious on Spike's Blail. And that was, again, because of the overarching panic damage changes and lowering of their attack dice. And that's true, like, across the, the Bastards girls. Uh, the Flavemen, a little bit of an exception. They probably received a little bit more tweaks, but that was still, they still do what they did before. You know, they just now do it to the caliber that we wanted them to, that we want them to achieve. And I think the Bastards girls, you know, some some minor tweaks there, right? Things like the the tracker's bow now automatically making the defender vulnerable instead of making them roll. It kind of cuts out a step and sort of speeds up gameplay a little bit too. But House Bolton flayed men. I know a lot of people are really excited about that, seeing them drop down to eight points, you know, because they were a, a fairly popular unit when the game first came out. Uh, and they still are. But I think, you know, as their role shifted, people found other ways to adapt and fill that need. But now, man, back at it with the uh, intimidating presence and their war flail with vicious and critical blows again. That's just always fun to see. I think we're going to see a few more uh, Bolton Flayed men out on the field these days. Well, so those are your go to panic focused heavy cavalry. So the obvious other comparisons that you have is you have your Lannister 
um, Knights of Casterly Rock, and then you have your Stark Tully Sworn Shields. These guys kind of make up the trifecta of the initial release, like heavy cavalry guys. Mm-hmm. You know, I use that in giant air quotes. But so you have, you know, the Starks are giving you a morale boost, you know, in keeping with the Tully theme. The Flademen here are giving you vicious. And while they don't have the raw offensive punch of the other eight point cavalry, which we haven't showcased yet. So, you know, not really going to talk about those too much. They do their damage through panic. They, you know, they, yes, they have critical blow on the charge, but once they get locked into a combat, they're really reliant on most of their damage is coming through panic because for mm-hmm. an eight point unit, seven dice to the three plus with no other keywords. I mean, that's kind of like, eh. So you see that their damage is coming through with vicious and intimidating presence, which is a unique role compared to the Tully's or the Knights of Castle Rock and, you know, how they function. That says a, a fantastic keyword, intimidating presence in this army. Um, especially with the Boltons that you've showcased here, because they can, they can get around the battlefield somewhat quickly and get engaged in combat. So that's really going to make a difference with every other Bolton unit having Vicious being able to to benefit from that. I mentioned it in the uh, the article as well, but I think that, that is actually going to be the low-key main use that a, a skilled player should be utilizing the Flavin for is not so much being an independent damage source, but being a supplemental damage force to have that mobile intimidating presence ability just across the army. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Oh my gosh. Really, all these changes, I think, have been really interesting, thought-provoking. I know, you know Mike from Off the Wall Games has been a long time, like, neutral purist and he was just blown away and incredibly excited already off like kind of theory crafting and and uh you know posing what ifs or potential ways he might play or how it's going to change his lists but you know overall really exciting and i think this stays in line with what we saw with the Brathians. although perhaps the neutral players are a little bit more excited because i feel like sometimes uh you know they've been they they were uh the the few the proud for for so long and to kind of see these great shifts I mean, I think some of the tactics cards that really caught their eye, eyes as well were like uh, issue commands. When your commander activates, instead of performing an action this turn, you target one other friendly unit in long range and they get a free charge action or attack. Or you get to remove uh, at the start of a turn, remove a friendly combat unit's order and they get to use another order that round. So they can like basically use two orders in a round. That's that's going to be scary. That actually is probably my favorite card in the entire deck, just because looking at even just the neutrals. So you have Theon Greyjoy being able to, you know, set an example twice per round to just, you know, really dish out the panic. You have the Bolton Flare able to just double tap usage of his spread fear ability. And then people need to also remember that, you know, Roos, commander version, you know, has that ability as well. So, you know, this is just your ability to just double tap those things down. And this is just limiting yourself to just what house bolton has access to if you want to be like a fluff purist here because like one of the initial things i was considering with this article was posting up like an army list and you know one of the things i had done was i had thrown in unit stormcrow mercenaries for ramsey because you know i wanted to really make use of that affiliation house bolton but also because you know they have adaptive to give them that minus one cost now all of a sudden you know uh, know, ramsey running theon there in the units you you have a a five points uh, affiliation House Bolton unit with horrific visage, and then you also have them with uh, you know Theon being able to throw down uh, you know his panic effects out there. You know, really solid, just a little cheap unit. Man, okay, so we get we get to hopefully see some. Uh, that's something else on the horizon as well. Then maybe we could see down the line some uh, some storm crows or something when you cycle back around to neutrals here. Yeah, we can definitely see, but we have um, you know, we have a bunch of factions to cover and everything. So you know. We definitely don't want to spend all the time on neutrals because, frankly, that could have been, you know, three articles in itself just talking about the established ones that we currently have with Vargo, Dario and, you know, the 
I guess the Boltons in general. Well, as a quick aside here, when you were initially designing these factions for the game and you decided to come out with Lannister, Stark, and Neutrals, um, why House Bolton for such early units? Was there like a, something that, you know, a particular reason where you're like, this is the faction we want to have showcasing as our neutral force and not maybe Stormcrows or, or what would it be Second Sons or uh, uh, the Brotherhood? You know. Three reasons. One, they were very popular at the time, uh, mm-hmm. in no small part because of the uh, the timing of the TV show and everything. Mm-hmm. Also, they still remained a fan favorite kind of neutral example. Two, they were the evil guys <laughs> where you had Starks and Lannisters. And yeah, people want to view Lannisters as like the bad guys. But they do have a lot of like redeeming, just kind of selfish characters. But when it comes to Boltons, it's really hard to justify like they're not just kind of pretty evil. I mean, right. yeah, you can say that they're self-serving, but Ramsey is right. in not in any way a good character. Roos is in very few ways a... Actually, I'm going to say no, he's not a good character in any way. So, you know, we got to design this really just kind of vicious, just evil-looking aesthetic that was really in contrast to the Starks and Lancers. And third, because I really like <laughs> Okay, fair enough. I, I did have the notice that it was like, you know, you you have a pretty amazing alt art here on the Dreadfort caption. It's, it definitely suits you well, sir. Um. I, I don't really know how to take that, but just a small, like, assage to that. That was actually not done by my request. Uh, I am... Not a fan of putting myself. That's just how in. people know you. That's how they they just know you, and they're like, "We're gonna pay homage to him by giving him this." That's the character they picked. <laughs> yeah, so you know, I don't know what that says about my interactions and personality that that's the one they went with. Right. But like, I'm I'm a big fan of putting our staff and you know team members in our games, but I do not usually do that myself because I just first off I don't like looking at myself, and secondly, it's just like kind of like. Uh, you know, it, it's a little awkward. It's it's fun and fine to put like other people and stuff, but once yourself, it just seems like. Uh... I see how it is. I see how it is. Okay. Well, unfortunately, Michael, I'm sorry to say this, but I think that Dreadford Captain is going to be seeing a lot of play. So uh, you might be seeing a lot of yourself, uh, what we say, on the table. <sighs> <laughs> I can hear your eye roll, by the way. Yeah, anyhow, okay, so I mean, really cool stuff here. Uh, I'm excited to continue to see these faction reveals coming out. And now you had said last episode that um, there really isn't necessarily a pattern or a rhyme or reason to how the articles are going to be structured. Uh, but in this one, once again, we saw all the tactics cards and you had hinted at maybe making an army list that you were going to show, but you decided not to. So is that kind of still like all out there like that where future articles... We might, you know, see a very different approach to things. Will we see all the tactics cards for these factions as they go around? Is that like a guaranteed? It's nothing is guaranteed in life, Chase. We are oh, never enough. We're <laughs> never guaranteed the morrow, to quote <laughs> Roger Casil. Wow. Um, yeah, pulling out the deep dives there. But uh <laughs> the ta- seeing the tactics cards, you know, that goes so far to explaining a, a faction's just identity and how they play. It's very hard to speak of a faction without showing those and showing partials of them never gives people the big picture and leads to a lot of just kind of not great speculation. So, Mm -hmm. you know, that's probably something we will continue to do. But other than that, the means and methods in which we show other things would probably be different. Because like I know, for example, when we show the free folk, that's going to be a tricky one because it's going to be a combination of showing the units and the attachments because those really, they they matter for every faction, obviously. They're how you play the game. But they really like your unit selection really matters with free folk and how you're approaching things. And that I mean that not just from your 
combat units, but also your attachments that you're putting in that unit. And then you switch over to like Night's Watch for when we talk about them. It's not so much about like their tactics deck is is important. Their commanders and NCUs are I would put them above their combat units. And that sounds like a very strange thing to say, but that's because of the way their tactics deck functions with their vow mechanics. That just is such a, an important focus that the units that they're being affected by that almost take a secondary role to, you know, being able to just like dynamically modify how things work in real time during the game. So, like I said, it's going to be a it's going to be a unique experience with each of the factions that we speak about. And I know there's a lot of people mentioning about Targaryens, a lot of people, you know, uh, clamoring for more reveals of them ever since you revealed that you're going to have four commander tactics cards for each commander. That's going to be crazy. So that's another exciting thing people are looking forward to. Got to make sure there's some Targaryen love out there. I have to say Targaryens are probably going to be one of the easier ones to discuss because there's going to be such a focus there on their commanders and their tactics cards. Like that's almost a given that that's really going to be what we have to focus on there versus individual units or NCUs like that. That has to be the focus because that is the unique aspect of their army. Well, that's exciting. I can't wait to uh, see what's up next then. You know, it was really cool seeing people's uh baratheon paint jobs they looked fantastic michael actually you in the past have even showcased some of your painted miniatures you had some nice painted uh baratheons uh, sorry whoa you had some nice painted uh, bolts and forces <laughs> like, no i did not do, sir <laughs> you, you had some nice painted boltons um is that did that make the 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 did, when you got stuck in canada those get stuck with you did you do you travel with a bunch of bolton miniatures or how does that work no they're currently uh locked in my domicile back in it uh, oh. atlanta so it's almost like Is there's it? just this vast treasure trove of unlocked you know mysteries and secrets that's sitting there just ripe for the taking should anyone be brave enough to get there i do want to say though i absolutely trapped everything i own before i left <laughs> oh man all i'm hearing is that there could be some great creator content it could be like a a, a series where you know 12 different creators try to get into the house to find you know michael chanel's hidden stash of bolton painted miniatures but i i know i think i know you a little bit now so i would know how to do that so i would not be the first person and i would not be the last person because i know you'd be planning for that yeah so chase that's actually a very smart comments and i guess for any of the teams that are getting out there to try <laughs> to do this if you're the first one in you're going to spring the initial traps. If you're the last one in, you're going to spring what I call the coward traps. So <laughs> somewhere in the middle is really where you want to be. You got you to gotta get inside your head. See, uh, you know, the deviousness. This is the same guy when we did our Patreon play. We did that Among Us game with you and Fabio and some, some patrons. And uh, you were like, oh, I don't know how to play. I don't know how to play. First round, you murdered me first like 10 seconds into the game. And uh, you convinced everybody that you were new to the game when really you knew what you were doing. You had like, what was it? It was like 80 hours played or something on your Steam account. I was like, son of a gun. I did warn you not to trust me. <laughs> <laughs> Lessons learned. Lesson learned. Thank you so much for tuning in for this episode. Make sure you drop in the comments on our Facebook page some painted pictures of your boltons this week and you know what's your favorite uh, bolton unit if you had to pick one michael bastards girls like there's sorry aesthetically it's the flayed men they're just i remember like when we first uh, when big child first previewed those things to us like just the initial concept art i was blown away but like just mechanically and like flavor wise and everything it's bastards girls all right hopefully we can get some cool flayed men and bastard girls images and uh, that was a pretty quick response there uh michael that was like almost uh almost like a tormund that almost came out really quick there not the first time i've been asked that question <laughs> fair enough that's very true that's very true 
All right. Well, thank you so much for coming on and uh, keep up the awesome work. It's been really exciting to see all these teases as they've come along. And for everyone listening, thanks so much. See you next week. And in the meantime, hope you get your miniatures on the table. 